If you would like to join me, open to Numbers 13. As we open up your Bible, let the kids out. We're going to start at verse 17 and read over to chapter 14, 9. I'm reading from NLT. Moses gave the men these instructions. As he sent them out to explore the land, go north through the Negev into the hill country, See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where the Haman, Sheshai, and the Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zon. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought it back samples of pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means clusters, because of the clusters of grape the Israelite men had cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The, um, um, sorry, Elimelech, um, live in Negev, sorry, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt the grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they carried, cried all night. 
Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephnu, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless praise to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Amen. There's a lot going on in the world right now. I don't know about you, but my heart's been heavy this week in prayer. And I just encourage everyone to pray with us. Come on a, Sunday, on a Wednesday morning, 6.30. The porridge is good and the prayer is better. Uh, if you're a lady, 10.30 in the library, 10.30, right? Okay, I've been saying 11 o'clock for the last three weeks, 10.30. So prayer's important for us as a church. Do encourage that. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Numbers 13 as we press on uh, looking at the journey of God's people. We've been looking at how the people of God had left Egypt and they've been continually being guided towards the promised land and they are close to the borders right now. But this morning, I want to look at this perspective. Now, there was a church not so long ago, and they asked the children to write little prayer slips and to put in a little box. And I've got some of the examples of the prayer slips that were given. And uh, here's one, Neil, he says to, Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? <laughs> oh, Ruth. Ruth came along and said, dear God, I think the stapler is one of your greatest inventions. I love kids' perspective. Oh, Larry, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. <laughs> it works with my brother. Elliot says, dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Bless him. We read that Thomas Edison made light but in Sunday school, they said that you did it. I bet he stole your idea. <laughs> uh, I love this one. Uh, she says, if you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. <laughs> uh, thank you, dear God. Thank you for my baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> uh, Okay, I say go back a little bit. So I think they're cute. Children have the, the most beautiful, adorable perspective on things and, you know, their prayer and on God. And they say the cutest things. But perhaps different to our own, but not necessarily bad. But having the right perspective in our Christian lives is important. There's a gentleman there. 
just uh, running there called Roger Bannister. And many years ago, they, for hundreds of years, they said that it was impossible to beat the, uh, f- uh, run a mile in four minutes. Physically impossible. Medics and scientists said you just couldn't do it. You know, our bone structure and the way our muscles are and our lung capacity would not allow us to run a four-minute mile. And then one day, you know, uh, Roger Bannister disproved that, you know, and it was a big deal. It was, it was huge. But then uh, a year later in 1955, 37 runners broke the four-minute mile. And then in 1956, 300 runners did it under four minutes. Is anyone can do a four-minute mile here? No, I'm sure there is. There's a few Canadians. I'm sure you could do that. But the, now, today, to run the four-minute mile isn't even uh, you know, like a big deal in the, in, the, in, the, in the scheme of the world. Why? Has, has anything changed? Has our bodies changed overnight? Have we evolved in some capacity? No. But our mentality has changed. All of a sudden, Roger Bannister did it, and he says, we can do this, and then people believed that they could do it, and, and it became a reality. Roger Bannister showed that it was possible, and from then on, lots of people managed to do it. It's quite apparent in Scripture that there are men and women who had the right perspective about God and chose to serve the living God totally and utterly and with a whole heart and had the right perspective about who God is and what they were able to accomplish in the power of God. But it was costly for them. There are many examples. We look at Moses. Moses chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God, rather than enjoy the pleasures of of sin for a short time. We look at Daniel in the Bible, and his friends chose to repeatedly disobey the kings of Mesopotamia, then subject themselves to the foreign practices of their land. Or Noah. Noah is a phenomenal guy. He builds an ark in a desert, you know, for like decades. The Apostle Paul, a brilliant academic, that he was and way ahead of his years, chose to leave it all behind and follow the one whom he had been persecuting. And boy, did he suffer in the process for it. But in each case, and in many more examples that you can think of, the glory that resulted was phenomenal. May I suggest that each individual had faith in God and trusted in God's faithfulness and promises. Each individual was prepared to surrender all because I believe they understood who God was. And in each case in the New Testament, as New Testament followers, like that's for us today, like putting our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. Do we understand what it means to put our trust in Christ? Do we understand today in 2023 what it means to put our trust in God? This morning, we're going to be looking at two individuals who looked at life and cherished the promises of God and trusted in God. And in doing so, it dictated how they lived their lives. And God blessed them for it. So if you go to Numbers 13, 
we're going to be looking at it specifically, the gentleman Caleb. And here in Numbers 13, we see that the Israelites have arrived at the promised land after going through uh, the, the desert wanderings. And we, we see that they get to that Kadesh, Barnea. That's where they, they've arrived on the southern border of the promised land. And then they're in the desert here of Paran. And God says to Moses, send some spies in the Numbers 13, verse 2. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of these leaders. And so they send 12. There's 12 tribes, 12 leaders, and off they go in there. And it's about two years since they've left Egypt. So there we've gone over these last weeks. They've been traveling through the wilderness and going through all the, the Ten Commandments and all of these things. And it's been two years now where they've landed in the south. And God says this in verse 2. This is the land I'm going to give you. It's a promise. This is the land. It's for you to take. And this tension been building up with Moses leading up to this. We even see this with um, his own close companions. We see this with Miriam and Aram. They've been opposing Moses. The people have been grumbling along the way about lack of water, lack of food. I would have hated to have Moses' job managing over a million people complaining all the time. Even his close companions in the previous chapter opposed Moses and God told them about it. And so they arrived at the edge of the promised land. The spies are chosen and they're sent to go out. And it seems okay. Verses 17 to 21 explains that they go. Uh, and we can see how God has sent them and Moses is in the detail. He organizes how they go. And I think that's great. You see, God says to Moses, go. And Moses, with God, makes a plan. God has ordered Moses to go and spy out the land, and Moses is wise in his planning. Trusting in God's promises is not incompatible with planning and preparation. They go hand in hand. I like the words of Martin Luther, the German monk, who says, Pray as though it depended on God, but work as though as if it depended on you. I like that. It's like hand in hand with God in life. Are we praying as if it depended on God in our lives? And then verse 23, they go and they find when they reach the valley of Eskol, so they kind of go all the way up past Hebron, past all the way up to the north. It's about 500 mile journey that they've gone on exploring the land. And they find this big cluster of grapes, so big that it takes two of them to carry it on a pole. When they reached the valley of Eskar, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and some figs. So things are going well. The traveling instructions end with the request to bring back some fruit. And the author of Numbers makes sure that, to know that the time is ready for the people to go into the promised land, this holy land. It's ready. And what's interesting, if you've been doing hermeneutics on a Monday night, 
will, you'll be picking up no doubt now that this is a historical narrative. And so you see the detail in it. You see all the little places that they've been going to, all the little towns that they've been journeying along. You know, the, the little details, the names, the historical places. So we know that this is a historical document because of the accuracy in it. The spies included Joshua and Caleb and they come back and they've explored the land. And everybody's there waiting with bated breath. What is the conclusion? What's the answer from these 12 spies that they've returned? <clears throat> and they start off saying that everything is good. The land, just like those grapes, are fruitful and it's going well. God is good. Verse 27, they give Moses this account. When we went into the land to which you sent us, it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And so we can see that this land is good. But what happens in the next verse they say, but the land is good. God's promises are there. God has been faithful. We know that God is good. We know that God is with us. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. They say, but... Everything we've been leading up to this point, this journey for the last two years has been leading them to this point. They go in, they test the land, it's good. But they nullify God's word. The spies are saying everything God says is true, but do we really believe in God? Do we really believe the promises that he has for us? <clears throat> Verse 28 to 33 it shows that the perspective gets a little bit out of kilter. But the people of, who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. And we looked at them a few weeks ago, didn't we, when they came and they attacked Moses and the people of God. And we know the story there when they held their hands up in the air. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live in the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread out among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living it. So all of a sudden, it's gone from being fruitful with amazing grapes and milk and honey to all of a sudden, the land is going to devour us. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim. So no longer are they just the descendants of Anak. They are Nephilim. They're Nephilim or the giants that we saw in Genesis. They don't exist anymore. They were, they were taken out with the flood. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. They begin to exaggerate the situation. 
So we see that the land was more flowing with milk and honey, but now it will devour them in verse 32. We see that in verse 28 that, hey, the descendants of Anak there. And then in verse 33, they've turned into the Nephilim. They've become bigger and worse than what it was. The situation is changing. Let me say this. And today, in 2023, words have power. The things that we say and our opinions that we share with one another have power. And we need to be very careful what we say with one another. We need to be careful that we're not sowing unnecessary negativity into one another's lives. But that we're building each other up. Let us not rob the joy of the hope that we have in God, the hope that we have in Jesus, in other people's lives. So then we come to Caleb and Joshua, and it would seem that Caleb and Joshua have a very different perspective. They understand that they've seen God doing great things from Egypt. They've, they've crossed over the sea. God's freed them from Egypt. He's provided water out of a rock. He's provided food for them. He's provided daily provision. He's guided them by a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He's been there the whole time. For two years, God has been guiding them. For three years in Egypt, he's been guiding them, with them. Caleb and Joshua, remember all that is, God has done. They remember, like Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 tells us, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful. It says in Hebrews that, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. The God who did wonderful and miraculous things then, We'll do miraculous things as they're going into the promised land. We'll do miraculous things in our lives today. He'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. These are the promises that we can hold on to and be encouraged every day. We can be encouraging each other. Hey, when we're down here, God is there with you. What perspective and mentality do we have in life? Do we remind each other and encourage each other? That God is good. And so Caleb and Joshua say, we can go into the land. We can do this. The problem is with many Christians is that we want a foot in both camps. We want to be in the promises and the, and the promised land of God, but we're scared to do that. Because that means giving everything up and, and committing our lives to Christ today. And so as Christians... No, we don't want to be in the wilderness. There's two options. We go into the promises of God and we go into the promised land. And today for us, it's the promises of Christ, Jesus in our lives. The promises of eternal eternity. Eternity with God for all eternity. That sounds amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait until, sorry, this sounds terrible, a bit morbid. But I can't wait until I'm in heaven one day and I'm just worshiping God every day. I love our worship band. And it's like this is freedom. Who's there? Who's there on Sunday night for the, the joint worship session? Oh my goodness, it was good. All the Christians coming together, worshiping God. I was in tears just before the throne of grace. And I imagine in heaven it's going to be like every day. I'm going to be doing my vegetable garden and I'm going to be worshiping God every day. 
But then we have the promises of God in our lives. Now, today, I have Christ living in and through me, making him more like him every day. And so we have to consecrate ourselves every day to become more like Christ. These are the promises of God. And they, but if we want that, we've got to wholeheartedly get into the promised land with God. Option two is that we, we don't do that. Oh, that's, that seems like a, a lot. I'm going to go and just follow. Back in the wilderness. We have a choice to make. Any, everyone on earth has that choice. Follow God. Walk in the wilderness. Problem is, as Christians, it seems as if we've got a foot in both camps, right? I want, I want them promises, but I also love what the world has to offer. I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want him wholeheartedly. I want to consecrate myself, but I love my telephone and all the things that's on there and all the things that are unhealthy on there. I want to follow Jesus Christ, but there are so many good things in the world that just satisfy my needs today, right now. We can't have both. As Christians, we're like this, walking around. Caleb and Joshua said, hey, we need to abandon the wilderness and we've got to follow wholeheartedly into the promised land. And so three things Caleb did we see that he never allowed other people to rob him of the joy and the hope and the promises of God. He didn't listen to the discouragement of those around him and he never wavered in his commitment and his following of God in all things. Three things Caleb did do though, he proved that a majority isn't always right. He proved that God was bigger than walls and you know, the issues in our perspectives today. And he asked for his appropriate portion. I like it as a man of 85 years older, when the land was shared out amongst the tribes, it says that in Joshua 14, 12, he chose, he asked actually the, for the mountain as opposed for the, the plains and the valleys. Joshua was a man of God. And he chose what was good for him and for the people around him. My question this morning is this. What mountains and walled cities and giants are we facing in our own lives? That's consuming our perspective. What meaning are we getting out of these things? Are they crippling us? Are they defeating us? Or are we able to give it over to God? Are we over, able just to trust in the Lord in all of our circumstances? Joshua, and many years later, said to the people in Joshua, um, in the, the book of Joshua, he says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. He says to the people, who are you going to serve? God or the things around you? For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who know the grace of God that comes in Christ's mercy, have assurance in our lives today of the life that we can have in Christ now and for all eternity. Joshua 1 verse 5 says, Do not be afraid. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. One of my pet peeves is when we pray, God, please be with me. He's already with you. 
He's with you every day. God, please bless me. He's already blessed you. We are blessed. We are blessed in Jesus. Don't let me catch you say, oh, you know, please bless me. I am blessed. I have Christ living in and through me. That's when someone says, amen. Woo! Like that, right? Where's Holden? <laughs> we are blessed. God is with us. That is a promise. He will never leave us, never forsake us. Be encouraged. We need to keep hearing those words. Keep sowing them words into people's lives. As Christians, we can keep encouraging and sowing those promises of God every day so that we keep moving into the promises of God, into the plans that God has for our lives today. I love Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is a phenomenal passage and it says in Ephesians 5 verse 15, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled in the Spirit. Continue to be filled in the Spirit of God, guiding you and leading you and caring for you. That means that we've got to keep seeking God. We've got to keep moving in the promises of God. Be filled in the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's having deeper fellowship. That's having that deeper encouragement. Now, I'm not expecting someone to come and start singing to me in the morning, although that would be nice. If someone came to me and started quoting a psalm, that would be nice. I would appreciate that. But the context is having deeper fellowship, encouragement, so positivity into people's lives. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Continue to worship the Lord in all things, every day. Verse 20, always giving thanks to the God for everything. God has done so much in our lives. If we're heading towards the promised land, the promises of God, give thanks to the Lord every day. Have that right perspective and submit to one another out of reverence with Christ. When we submit to one another in humility, then we're not lording it over one another but we're serving one another. We're caring for one another. We're loving one another. Aren't those beautiful attributes of those who are walking into the promises of God? Words have power. Let's keep building one another up but not pull one another down. God says, I am enough. He is enough. And I think it's important that the God that we understand reveals what he does, which then shows us how we respond to him. Do we understand God well enough to understand what he reveals to us, which then determines our actions for him? Do we know God well enough? Caleb and Joshua knew God well enough, and that determined their response in their situations, at the end of our lives, I hope and pray that we can say we have run the race well, we have finished the race well, we've sprinted over the finishing line, we've kept the faith. 
I hope when Jesus Christ comes back one day and he says to me, Simon, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've kept walking in the direction you wanted to go on my promises. Just that big embrace of Christ saying, well done, Simon. You've been faithful. Who wants that? Oh, man. Let's keep walking in the promises of God. Today we have a choice. Trust in Jesus and enter into his promised land or turn back and wander into the wilderness. But this, what has not been afforded to us, is standing in both the promised land and the wilderness. Trust in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Let him be your guide. If we have a foot in both camps, that is not honoring to you. It is not honoring to God. In Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. Let's keep encouraging each other. Let's keep walking in the promises of Jesus. And do not allow other people's negativity to rob us of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Bible, your word, which is just so rich in truth. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that as we explore and encounter the, the likes of Caleb and Joshua, who had the right perspective of who you were, are and, and who you are in our lives, Lord, that we never forget you. We never, ever take you for granted. Lord, I pray that we never take what we have for granted, the freedom that we have to worship, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, the freedom of the fact that Christ has continued to work in and through us every single day. And I pray, Lord, we grow more with you. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that individually we continue to seek your face in our lives and continue to seek uh, uh, that, your word and the promises and how that applies to our lives today. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that as individuals, we continue encouraging each other to keep journeying in the journey of Christ. That we keep building one another up. That we keep encouraging each other to run the race. I thank you for everybody here this morning. I thank you for my family in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we continue to grow together in all things. We love you, God, so much. And we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us and that we have been blessed abundantly in Christ Jesus. Amen.